Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of News You Can Use. I'm Ann Baldwin, and we are here with you this morning on WTIC News Talk 1080. And it's great to have my good friend back in the house, Chris Healy. And uh, we're speaking with Chris today. He's the executive director of the Connecticut Catholic Conference. And there's a lot going on out there in this world, isn't there, Chris? I mean, it's like... A lot of... uh, It's a very, as they say, trying and troubling time um, for people of faith, particularly our Jewish brothers and sisters who are under attack, being killed and being um, attacked and having synagogues burned around the world. Mm -hmm. It's a very troubling time. And I think it's important for all Americans to realize that this is a very a unique opportunity for people to stand and promote life and protect all of those no matter what their religious beliefs are because um, today it will be the attack on the Jews, tomorrow yep. the Catholics, and then we just work our way down the yeah. list. And, you know, I think it's part of, um, you know, just chipping away at one thing at a time, right? Like I was talking to my, my brother-in-law, and, and he makes a lot of sense. He says, you know, they're making it so housing is unaffordable so that everybody has to, you know, rent an apartment so that you don't own anything. They, even if you have a house, you really don't own it because they can raise taxes to the point that you can't afford it and they can take your house. Then you start hitting away on religion. Um, and for those of us who have religious faith, you know, that for me, that's my foundation. That's where I came from. That's what I stand on. And now we're doing that. And it's, you know, it's just hitting so close to home. And I got to tell you, I watched President Biden's uh, announcement earlier this week. And I don't know about you, but I don't feel any better about things. I really don't. And here we are, you know, why are we so late to the game? You know, throwing money at it. Is that the solution? I mean, it well, just, it's frustrating. We are in a, this is as clear a situation between good and evil as you're going to find. Yep. This is an existential civilization challenge for Americans. Israel is our ally. It is our closest ally in the world, even, I would say, even more close than the British. Um, Their country was founded on religious freedom. Our country was based on religious freedom. We forget that sometimes. And the cultural institutions that bind our country and make our country unique are being frayed, and it's up for people to stand up for them and to fight for them and to protect them at all costs because without them we have nothing, nothing uh, nothing good comes from a civilization that is devoid of its institutions and accepted protocols of, we believe, religious faith and doing the right thing as the saying goes. So it's pretty clear um, what we face here, and it's going to get very ugly very fast, um, not just in you know Israel but in other parts of the world where American resolve is being tested. Uh, I don't think we've had a clearer 
uh, indication of what's happened for anyone who knows anyone who lives in Israel or is connected, and not to mention the dozens of Americans that were murdered, the dozens of Americans that are being held hostage. Right. And, um, you know, normally uh, we're a country that takes great pride in protecting our citizens no matter what corner of the world they live in, and being attacked for being Americans is certainly something that get, should get everybody uh, up in arms over and uh, compel their elected leaders to act accordingly. And that and that means stopping this evil where it is, stopping it once and for all. But how do we do that? You know, that's the thing. You know, I speak to my 84-year-old mother who has Fox News on all day long, like it or not. And what can we do? You, you talk about helplessness. You talk about people that are saying this is going to be the beginning of World War III, um, that we do need to rise up. But what, Chris, really can people like you and I, what can we do? Well, we pray. Praying helps. Yeah. Uh, talking to people who make important decisions about funding um, relief, both humanitarian and military, to Israel is also. And it, and when this when the bullets start flying and things start to get really ugly is where I think the, the, the people are going to be counted. Because we always get into this situation where Israel, for some reason, is, is demeaned by the mainstream media as being the bad uh, actor here. What they're going on is, is an existential threat to their survival. These uh, Hamas forces and other evil forces in Iran, they want to drive Israel into the sea and kill every Jew on the, on the planet. That's what they want to do. I don't know why it's so hard for us to accept what they say is true when they keep saying it and doing it. Um, but also the reaction by some people in this country, this anti-Semitism on campuses and in the streets are just, it's so uh, troubling, but people have to stand up and, and oppose it and put their voices to it, not cower. You know, I, I, I'm a junkie for political and military history, and I read, I'm reading more books than I probably should about it. But, <laughs> but, the, but the parallels between now and the 1930s are so clear. And I, anyone who reads history should understand what's going on. It's very similar. You know, in the 30s, we had uh, the Japanese attacking uh, China, the famous rape of Nanking. We had Hitler on the march. We had uh, economic uh, collapse of Western civilization. We had the, you know, all of these things churning uh, at the same time. And there was a group in this country that did not believe the Americans should get involved. There was a great bit of anti-Semitism back in the 30s in this country as well through Father Coughlin and some of the other uh, people that pr promoted hate. Um, so it's a very, you know, you can look at history. It does have a rhythm to it, as they say. It has a rhythm to it. And we're, I think, sadly in that same sort of space, only with much more dangerous weapons flying around in the hands of a lot more uh, uh, unstable people. And when they take away that foundation of our religious freedom and start picking on, you know, certain religions and certain folks, uh, don't you think that's really the end? Well, it's not the end if we stand up and fight for it. We've had several synagogues burn. We've had uh, here in this country attacks on Jews, individual attacks, attacks on synagogues, swastikas painted on buildings that are owned by Jewish business people. Um, you know, we Catholics understand that 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 racism and, and that bigotry came to us early when we moved with many people who came to this country in the 19th century of Catholic beliefs and suffered through that. That's still popping up here and there around the country. We've had a, you know, a our administration, you know, the unleashed the Justice Department against uh, churches where they practice the Latin Mass. I mean, these are these are all facts, and uh, you know, people need to whether you're a devout person or not, you have to understand that once the freedom to, to express one's religious belief and First Amendment freedoms are threatened, everything else goes, goes up in smoke. Yep. And yep. Uh, that's what I think is important for people to think about, and not be 
uh, put off or be cowered by these mobs and these cowards that are that are that are protesting now or saying absolutely insane things on the floor of the house or elsewhere They're totally irresponsible you know this is a time to take stock and this is a time for you know free people to uh, fight for their freedom and the freedom of their friends and their neighbors and people they don't even know well and you, you talk about well, that, that was pretty deep wasn't it that it is deep but it, it's serious chris i mean this is some serious stuff and you know unfortunately the mainstream media is where most people are getting their information from most people don't read books like you do most people don't do their homework like you do and so we're getting these images which are just you know horrific and how you cannot be outraged and how you cannot you know let these people know that what they're doing is okay but there's such a divide right there's such a divide between this side and that side and again, I just don't know how we can make sense or have an impact at this point. Well, again, it, it, it's everyone is a citizen of, of this country has a responsibility to defend it as from from adversaries at home and abroad. You know, we don't have to be an elected official to do that. You don't have to be a police officer to do that or, an, or a soldier. You have to be an American citizen and American citizens, no matter what they do, whether it's an email to their congressman or their senator things you, you can't be silent you know silence you know the left loves to say that silence is your know, complicity well you know it, it works both ways it works both ways i don't know any american who's not seen what happened in israel mm -hmm. a week and a half ago that that wasn't reacting in horror even with all of the the violence that has so numbed us over the last 20 or 30 years and the non-stop uh, stimulation of our phones and on tv you know, this cut through it all. This is these are, these are the stakes. These are the stakes when, when you know children and babies are murdered and decapitated and tortured and raped and burned. I don't know what else you need to know. I don't know what else you need to know. Um, this isn't about land. This isn't about anything other than uh, certain certain evil forces in this world that everyone knows who they are are trying to eliminate the Jewish people. And when they're done with the Jewish people, we're next. Uh, we're next on the list. All you have to do is ask them. So, you know, people of faith need to really sort of understand that, and I know they do. I know a lot of people are praying. I know a lot of Catholics are praying uh, for their Jewish friends. I know even in the re recent masses I've been going to, they seem to be a little bit more filled up since the Israeli attack because I think people are very scared. They understand. They're not – people are brighter than you think. They, they know what's going on over there. They know how this thing can go sideways very quickly and involve American troops and American assets and uh, lead to something even bigger. So I think that's the, the scary time we're in. And you can't hide underneath the bed and you can't pull the shades and just hope it'll go, turn the TV off and, and start watching F Troop and, and uh, you know, some other far beyond, uh, you know, comic uh, you know, sitcom to make it go away. Because it's not, you can't. We're speaking with Chris Healy, who is the executive director of the Connecticut Catholic Conference. Chris, one subject there, another subject that's that's come up in this whole crazy world that we live in is parent rights and gender dysphoria. Can you define gender dysphoria for us? I'll try to. Okay. It's real simple. I mean, it's, it's usually, re mostly it's, it's a term used for children who um, uh, oftentimes have a time difficulty navigating their sexuality uh, based uh, other than what how they were created by God and science. Uh, and it's a process where, you know, they have to sort through that. Um, and it is, uh, it is not an epidemic or anything like that, but there has clearly an, been a growth of this pretty much since the end of COVID. Mm -hmm. And in Connecticut, uh, 
we in the church and other family groups, organizations, family institutes are very concerned about uh, how the rights of parents are being protected when it comes to the children who, in our public schools, come to a school and identify as a sex different from what they were created and then uh, ask for appropriate accommodations by that school uh, to deal with their new sexual identity or their cur- or whatever sexual identity they adopt. What kind of accommodations? Well, um, allowed to be addressed in certain pronouns, uh, be allowed to use certain facilities that were reserved for their previous gender they can now use, so a boy can use a girl's uh, locker room or a bathroom, uh, et cetera. So the interesting thing here in Connecticut is there is no statewide law or regulation on it. There are things called guidelines, and these are a, it's a bureaucratic tool that was created by Dan Malloy, then governor in 2017 through an executive order, and these guidelines were issued through his State Department of Education. And these guidelines say this is how school districts may handle children who come in and uh, exhibit they call it tran- or how to protect transgender students, but the issue has to do with you know sexual um, uh, dysphoria or confusion. So under these guidelines, a child would be able to uh, come into a school, identify as a different sex, demand to be dressed by different pronouns and titles, and to be afforded every uh, opportunity to use whatever facilities they wish. Uh, the interesting thing about these state guidelines is it forbids parents being informed of this decision by a child who is obviously self-diagnosing themselves uh, with this issue. Okay, wait, I gotta stop you right there. So this all goes on and there's no call to the parent that says your boy wants to be addressed by these pronouns and your boy wants to use the girl's room. That's if you adopt the state guidelines. By okay. the, now, many school districts in Connecticut, I can't give you a firm number because no one's really tracking this, but we've tried to. Many school districts, Tallinn comes to mind because they just recently did it and got some uh, media attention adopted guidelines that said parents should be informed as and included in any kind of process to deal with this issue because there's obviously counseling that goes on and obviously parents should be informed of this. I mean, it just, yeah, it you just think? Seem, you, it, it seems counterintuitive. However, uh, some school districts have adopted this parents uh, can't be told uh, through their own internal uh, policy making. I believe New Haven and Hartford, but I could be wrong, are the ones that were mentioned. Hartford Current did a story about this about four months ago talking about about 40 towns that have adopted uh, policies. We in the Catholic Church, you know, obviously where they say, well, why do you care about it? Well, first of all, Catholic children uh, uh, mostly attend public schools. And if the state is now taking the position that it uh, has supremacy, supremacy, excuse me, over the rights of children, we have a problem with that. Secondly, if they're there to tell a child that they are not created as God created them or even as science created them, that's a religious free speech issue as well. So we want to have a full legislative hearing. We want to have a full legislative examination in the next session where uh, you know we look at this issue and we provide and demand that parents be involved, be informed, and that we provide the right kind of guidance and counseling for these school districts to handle it. You know, it's one thing to say once the parents are involved, that's great. But this is still a child going through a very uh, challenging period. What kind of resources do we have at the local school level to deal with this? You know, uh-huh. pediatric psychology is not some, it's not an everyday discipline that, that there are lots of pediatric psychologists running around. So there, there's a huge demand there, potentially, resources and money and all these other things that haven't, hasn't been sorted out. Uh, it's a, a real issue that I think people, parents, should be, you know, be aware of. 
imagine you're a parent who gets called for all kinds of things during the school day if your child is sick or not doing their homework or late for the bus. Yet something as important as this, uh, they can be kept in the dark, and that's just unacceptable. And I think most people, you know, when they find that out, will realize that these guidelines, which were created by executive order, there was no legislative hearing. There was no input from people. And it was so long ago. And it happened in 2017. Right. And there were very few issues, very few issues around this matter. Right. Then we had COVID. Then we had a lot of, uh, you know, obviously kids are home. Then after COVID, we saw a lot more of this issue popping up all over the state. Mm-hmm. So how do we deal with it as adults and how do we deal with it as parents? It gets back to the other thing. The parents are the central arbiters and, and you know, participants in the in, in creation of life and the perpetuation of children and the, and loving and caring for their children. The state is not. The state is, it is en loco parentis during the part of the day, but a good part of the day. So they needed to, to be informed about this, but also in fairness to teachers and to paraprofessionals, and I'm on a school board in Wethersfield, it's, this is unfair to, to plunk this on top of a, of a teacher or a guidance counselor, another challenge of, okay, I have yeah. to keep track of this. I've got, yep. to, I've got to counsel this child. Yep. Uh, I've got to keep up with whatever changing pronoun. I mean, that's just not fair to, to the teachers either. I mean, it, let's be honest with it. it it's, we need communication. We need a full examination, a real debate. I hope we have one. Uh, I know we've talked to many legislators who are now coming, becoming aware of this more. Um, and are being very supportive of that idea. We'll see what happens when the legislature legislature comes back in in February. Well, you kind of just um, swept over the fact that you are on the school board in Wethersfield, and and it's good to know that, you know, there are... completing my second final term. Second final term, but, you know, it's something that you you talk about having a voice and doing something about things. You've done it, and you're not even a parent. No. You're not even a parent, but you care about kids and you care about what's going on. You know, the other thing that is interesting is um, I was recently made aware of a new state mandate here in Connecticut, and that is that sanitary napkins and tampons are going to be made available now. Oh, that's already happened. It's been happening. Okay, but now at no cost in the elementary, junior high, high school, girls' room. Right. And boys' boys room. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, the boys are having their fun tearing them. Yeah, things apart. What do you think boys are going to do? Sticking with those? them. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a yeah. I don't. We don't have enough time to get into the absurdity of that. But again, it comes back to institutional attacks by the state, trying to redefine what God created, men and women as they are. Uh, science actually agrees with God on this one that we're created the way we are, by chromosomes and whatever. But we understand that you know adults can make certain decisions and no one is saying that anyone 18 and over is not free to do what they do exactly I, let's I'm, make that clear i just want to be very clear right. about that i that's never been the issue the mm-hmm. issue is children children right. and we do we've done enough harm in our culture with the sexualization of children the violence they sees they, they see all the other distractions that are at their fingertips uh, the least we can do is to empower and and, and allow parents to be parents if we have any shot of trying to you know, bring some civility and normalcy to a time in life of, of innocence where children need to be nurtured and protected from these, from these influences, um, and parents not only uh, have a, a right to do it, but they also have a responsibility. We need to you know, make that clear, that parents need to be responsible and to take charge of, these, of their children and to show grace and, and courage and, and love for them, but it's not up to the state. To, no. to, to, to move you in. You know, there. and how horrifying to think that the, that you're, the minute your student, your kid, walks out of the house, gets on the bus, and goes to school, 
that you're not informed that you don't, that you don't they don't let you know i remember my parents getting a call back when i was in junior high because what i would do is i would wear what they wanted me to wear to school and then i would go to school and i would change into right. my hip huggers and my angel top and my belly was showing and my parents got a call that i was dressed in appropriately and there were some severe punishments that came with that can you imagine sending your kid out the door to school and they can go do and be whatever they want to be and you don't even know you don't know. You're the parent. Uh, listen, you I don't went know. to private school, and they—if you wrote a—if you try to wear a blue shirt on the day, they only let a white and yellow collared shirts, and they'd send you home. And that was listen. You didn't want your parents to be called under any—at least I didn't. I spent all of third grade in the principal's office, so trust me, I know. Um, so um, it, it's just—it's it, absurd that we have to have these debates and, and talk about what should be, and that know, it's got to be a law. Uh, it's got to be debated by lobbyists, and it's got to be debated, you know, what I call up at the big house during a legislative session. That's the only way things well, can change. Well, what happens is with these with these sort of soft guidelines, it's the slow creep of authoritarianism, okay? It, it's, it's, it's given an imprimatur of the state so that the local uh, school board say, well, the state says it's okay, so that must be good. So that gives them a way out. Mm-hmm. We're following their guidelines, so you can't blame me. We're following the guidelines. That are how many years old? What makes the difference? We're following guidelines. Okay. Uh, if it becomes a law, then they get to follow the law, and then they can wash their hands of it completely. And that's unfortunately what's happened in our. And we can again another another time and place that our public school systems uh, are so hamstrung by so many laws and so many mandates on curriculum and unfunded hours mandates. And, but it's also yeah. what goes on where mm-hmm. we we're not really letting these teachers do their thing that, that I think they're more than capable of doing. Uh, it's incredibly bureaucratic. It's incredibly report driven. It's not results driven, and I will tell you um, that the, the math, the English competency scores across the state are in the tank. I mean, we're in some districts. There's a pass rate of 13 percent. In some, in in suburban districts, you wouldn't think it. They're barely at 50 percent because of all this lost learning with COVID. That's what we should be doing. And I, I want to applaud the governor. They did put some money out for some extra tutoring uh, resources, but there are only so many hours in the day, mm-hmm. and there are only so many tutors around. Um, it'd be one thing if you have a couple of districts that aren't working out and you can hire tutors because there'll be enough tutors. Every school district's got this problem. So when they say, well, let's go hire more math tutors, great. What are they getting? Great, they're getting 150 a day or 200 a day. All right, find them. You can't find them because obviously they're all employed and working overtime. So these are, these are what we should, be, we should be focusing on in education now. Uh, not trying to take parents' rights away and get caught up in these other things, but this is where the work needs to be done because these children that are way behind on these basic acumen testing, which allows you to kind of move on to the next level of learning, uh, we have a lot of we have a lot of repair work to do, and I and I and it's it's only going to get worse if we don't get on it fast. Well, we've talked about two big topics here. You know, cutting away at our religious rights, cutting away at the quality of education. It's all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. I hate to be a conspiracy theorist, but. Well, it's it's mostly I've come to in my <clears throat> 66 years on this planet. I've, I've, I've and I've been on the other side of bureaucracies. It, you know, it's sort of we've created this culture of government and and and, and we've 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 dropped our guard and, and allowed these bureaucracies and these cultures of government to do the things that we should be doing. And we throw our hands up when we say, well, it's a law. Well, you can undo laws. You pass another law to supersede it. But you have to have people that are willing to put their their names out there and run for office and say, I'm not going to be influenced by this group. We need to get to this other side. And 
Listen, I mean, you know, I could sit here and say it's a Democratic-Republican thing. It's not. It's a cultural thing about about incumbency and power and all these other things. We need to break that down because we're now at a stage in our society where we have institutions crumbling, the things that we used to take for granted, that a child should be able to get at least a reasonably vigorous educational experience to put them on a path to citizenship and, and productivity. We can't say that anymore. At least we can't say it for most of the state, only some parts of the state. And what that leads is to kids that aren't ready to become adults, certainly become productive, leads to other social problems, leads to more costs, and again, where we are. I'm upbeat about it. I think we can turn it around. I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, setting examples, having people step forward, showing what the being virtuous is all about. We get back to those kind of things. I think we'll be fine. And what's going on now in the world allows us to actually be virtuous, say we have a existential fight between good and evil that's that's not at our doorstep, but it is in a way. It will be at our doorstep very quickly if we don't do something quick about it and and stand with people that are just trying to protect their religious freedom and their right to exist as human beings. But you know, you say, Chris, do something about it. Uh, run for office. But if you said those things, and if that's what you stood for, you think you have a shot in hell at even getting elected? Absolutely. There are a lot of people that want to hear this clarity. I think they want clarity, and they want, obviously, you know, someone they, they feel is reasonable and uh, you know sober most of the time so they can make good decisions and that they're <laughs> and that they're actually listening uh, there are a lot of people to do it and certainly you know look every legislative body whether it's the Connecticut legislature the Congress or the US Senate or a town council or a board of all or a school board you don't have to start at the top they're, they're all you know they, they all have people that are head you know people that are leaders people that are followers there are people in between but I think it's pretty clear where we are now that uh, everyone needs to sort of lift the veil, wake up, and just get it done and, and, and stop messing around because we, we, don't, we don't have endless amounts of time anymore, and we don't have an en endless amount of credit. We certainly don't. Chris Healy, what an invigorating conversation. The bottom line here is if you're not happy about it, do something about it. Uh, again, Chris is the executive director of the Connecticut Catholic Conference, Ann Baldwin here, and we want to thank you for tuning in to this edition of News You Can Use right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.